Good morning, everyone. Come on in and take your seat. Welcome, welcome on this Memorial Day weekend in which we honor and celebrate those who have never left their uniforms. They wore them to the very last moment. Come on in. I'm not sure I know how to do this anymore. It's been so long since I preached. Man. Okay, here, here's the first rule, though. You guys have to smile once in a while. Just every once in a while, smile like you like it. So that makes me feel better, all right? Um, do any of you, like me, get... W- Okay, that is not what I meant. <laughs> Are any of you like me in that you get weary sometimes of all of the posts on Facebook about politics and the economy and gas prices and Johnny Depp and... Please don't take this wrong, but even the news about what's gone on in Uvalde, I have been so inundated that I feel like sometimes the human soul is not intended by God to bear quite so much weight. I, I find it almost depressing. And I got to tell you, what I, let me give you some instructions. This is for everybody here. If any of you are Facebook people at all, here's an instruction from your pastor to you. Post pictures of your kids. That's it. Just be done. Pictures of your kids. Or funny things they say or do. Because that at least brings encouragement to everybody. That's life-giving most of the time. I say most of the time because sometimes, if I'm honest, it's a little bit hard. When I think about the pictures and the posts that you guys put of your kids and your grandkids, especially Carol, she's the worst. Um, she is I find it forgive me I find it embarrassing compared to mine you guys know I love my kids right right and you know I really love my grandkids really love them right but when I compare what I do when I post with my grandkids compared to what you guys do it's embarrassing I feel less than. Because, I mean, hearing you guys, you you guys take them up on mountain hikes to the Adirondacks. You take them down to the monument and you plant flowers to beautify your town. You go down to Yummies and you get a flight of ice cream. After two to three hours of babysitting my grandkids, I'm exhausted. (laughs) So that when they want to do something fun, I walk them over to the Redemption Center and let them count bags. There, there is just something about our world, especially Hollywood and uh, Pinterest and, and all of those kinds of things. Hallmark, they paint a picture of life that's not real. And anytime you're less than that, you feel the weight of somehow feeling ashamed, feeling like you don't measure up. We feel less than everybody else. Well, 
The reason why I've said all of that is the danger of what I have been asked to share with you this morning by lead pastor Jonathan Lonneville is, um, is a subject that I find often leaves believers, Christians, feeling less than and ashamed, like we don't quite measure up. Uh, I, I, I have been asked to finish out our series that uh, Pastor John and Ben and others have been doing over these last weeks on our mission statement. Our mission statement, as you can see, is love God, love people, and love Warsaw. And what I've been asked to share today is how to reach out, how to connect with that one person that God has put in your life in order to do it. In fact, an old-fashioned word that would perhaps be most appropriate is the word evangelism. And as soon as I say the word evangelism, for some of you, there's this sick, sinking feeling in the pit of your stomach. Like, okay, you can ask me to do a whole lot of things, but don't ask me to do that because I am just not good at it. Anytime I try to talk to somebody, it goes all wrong. So I'm just not good at it. Well, I want to talk to you this morning about how to reach out to people and not have it be like a dirty word in a Christian's vocabulary, how it can actually be something that is life-giving for you and for them. So if you think about it, Jesus actually only gave us two primary commands as believers who would follow in his footsteps. The first was to come. He says, come unto me, all you who labor and are burdened down, and I will give you rest. He said, come, follow me. So he said, come, but the second word he said is go. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. But the sad thing is, when we hear the word go, we immediately think, no, stop. Stop everything, because I can't do it. That's more than what I am made for. What I want to do today is to present to you the Jesus command to go in a way that I think we all can do it without leaving you with a sense of shame or embarrassment, but a sense of, I can do that. I might not be able to do a whole lot, but I can do that one thing. And, and the way I'm approaching it is that the early disciples actually watched Jesus live life. And they picked up some things from him that they then carried on, that they then have transmitted to us about how we can do life together with the Lord and have it actually impact people. If you have your Bibles, you could open up to Matthew chapter 10. If you think about it, by the way, churches spend thousands and even millions of dollars trying to convince people to come into the church's building. And yet, if you look at the life of Jesus, and, and again, please don't hear this. Jesus had customs that he followed, things that he did regularly, and one of them was he went to synagogue or to the temple. It says, as was his custom, he went. And so, I am in no way saying you ought not come to church or that you ought not bring people to church. But what Jesus did is he would go, and in his worship, he would connect with his Father, and then he would go out and he would just live life and take that life from the Father that he had received in the temple and be able to share it with those around them. So that's kind of the principle that I see with Jesus. So in Matthew chapter 10, are you there? Matthew 10 and verse 1. 
when he called his 12 disciples to him, so the first one he says, come, come, come to me. He gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Skip down to verse 5, if you would. Then these 12 Jesus sent out. So now it's to go. So it's come and go. He sent them out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles. Do not enter in the city of the Samaritans. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, that this is the principle, freely as you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. Now, whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. And if the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. So, here is Jesus, and he sends his disciples out, and these are going to towns full of ordinary people. Towns just like Warsaw, or uh, Perry, or Gainesville, or Wyoming, or Pavilion. Ordinary towns full of ordinary people. And he told them the secret of how to evangelize, or how to reach and connect with people. And he says, this is the key, this is the key, he says, this is the, kind of the heart of the kingdom strategy. He said, when you go, say, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, when you say something's at hand, what he's implying is it's near to you. It's in my presence. The kingdom is coming to bear. So he's saying, when you come, you need to say, in me, God is coming near to you. So that you have every right when you talk with people and say, I, I want to welcome you in the name of the Lord. I receive you in the name of the Lord. Because God in you is coming near to them. The kingdom of heaven is near. And what I want you to catch is that God intended from the very beginning that this issue of evangelism or connecting was to be relational, not transactional. All too often we've made it about how many people can we get in here? Can we get bigger? Can we grow? What do, why are you inviting people? Come on, do your job, let's go. We make it about that kind of stuff instead of about what relationships are you establishing with people that actually builds a bridge that can bear the weight of having those kinds of conversations where you can talk to them about the Lord. So it is intended not to be about counting nickels and noses. It's about can people count on you as a friend in that relationship. See, when he talks about not being friends with the world, he's talking about not being friends with the world's system, the systems that oversee the entire world. He doesn't mean you shouldn't be friends with people, people around you that you have regular contact with, people that you do business with, perhaps, or people who are your neighbors, where you become friends with them as a means to reach them. In this passage, Jesus gives them a key, and he says, the kingdom of God is to spread from one person to another. But what you're to do is you're to look for um, a worthy person, he says here in the text. He says, look for someone. If they're worthy, extend your peace. But another way that another translation puts it that's very interesting is this look for a person of peace. A person who is peaceful in their heart, who's able to receive what you have. You know, 
It, it's about finding a person who actually uh, is willing to listen to you. Finding a person who's willing to hear your story and what God has done in you, which is, in fact, your testimony. When, when you connect with people, the idea is not to tell them everything that everybody else has had happen. Tell them what God has done in you. And my question to you this morning is, has God done anything inside of you? Has God done anything for you? And if He has, you have a testimony. You have something worth sharing with people. So, it was in about, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Ben. I didn't ask you first, I'm sorry. Um, it was in about, I think, the year 2000 that Ben and his family, the Schultz family, took a trip to a country called Kazakhstan. And while there, they went to a little village called Mullabai. And in Mullabai, they met this man. And as they sat down and talked with him, it became very clear to the family that this man was a person of peace. He wanted to hear what they had to say. He was interested in them. In fact, he was so interested that he and his wife moved out of their larger house into a woodshed that he had on the property so that Ben and his family could move into the big house. And then he opened doors for them to share the story of what God had done for the Schultz family with everybody in that village. And that story is still carried on today. I've met people who, because of what the Schultz family did, have come to Christ and are now sharing that same story. They found a person of peace. And if you look in the Scripture, it happens that way again and again. There was one occasion, you'll remember, where Paul the Apostle wanted to go over to Asia to preach the Gospel. But God came to him in a dream and said, no, I want you to go to Europe. So he went to this town called Philippi. And as was Paul's custom, on the Sabbath day, he wanted to be able to have some time worshiping God. He wanted to go to church. But because this was a Roman garrison, which meant there was no church there, this was all Rome-occupied territory, Paul and his friends went down to the river and thought, let's go down to the river and let's have a service there. And when they went down to the river, they met some ladies there doing laundry. But one of those ladies was a person of peace. And her name was Lydia. She became a Christian, a believer, and she opened her doors, her house, to Paul and his friends so that every time they came through, they could stay with them and spread the gospel far and wide. Interestingly, while Paul was in Philippi, some religious leaders got mad at him and had him thrown in prison. But even there, where you would think Paul would be all disillusioned and discouraged, even there, Paul was looking for a person of peace. And he found him in the jailer. So that ultimately, because of Paul's testimony, the jailer and his whole family became Christians. So it's this issue of looking for a person of peace. What I want you to catch today is that what God calls you to isn't like some kind of high and lofty thing that only a few elect people can do. He's asking you to live your life normally, but to recognize God is inside of you. And if God's inside of you, He wants to get out. He wants to be able to let His life come out of you or through you to those with whom you come in contact regularly. He wants you to tell your own story with everyone. It's not a matter of you having to be able to memorize the four spiritual laws. You don't have to go to Bible college to have an answer for everybody and all of their questions. You just have to share your story. 
And Jesus took this principle, by the way, and he didn't only do it with the 12 apostles. He also did it with the larger group called the 70 that he sent out. Look over at Luke's Gospel, if you would. Luke chapter 10. And God, to remember, uh, I've, I've, I've lived walking with God for a long time now. I can sit down at Bud's and I can argue with people about what's right, what's wrong, what God says, what God's Word says. I could argue with them until I'm blue in the face and I won't get anywhere with it. But I can tell you this, my experience trumps all of their arguments. They can't convince me that God's not real. And when we sit down and talk together, I make no bones about it. I'm coming as a believer in Jesus Christ. I come as a God lover and I regularly will remind them. Just this week, they were talking about how the economy is going to hell in a handbasket. And I said, no, it's not. I said, the reality is, God has always had control of your life and my life, and He's provided for you, and He will continue to provide for you. We don't need to fear. We don't need to look at the economy as our guide. God is bigger and better than that. So, Luke chapter 10, look at it with me, verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also, in addition to the twelve. And he sent them out two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. In other words, the disciples are going out as like a vanguard, a forerunner. And Jesus says, I want you to go and I want you to bring my presence because I'm about to show up on the scene. And he gives us in this brief account that we're going to look at in Luke chapter 10, he gives us some framework for how to connect with people. The best strategy, if you would, for doing it. So I'm going to give you just like five points real quick. Number one, the first was teamwork. He sent them out in pairs. He says two by two. In other words, there are some things in life that just work better if you can partner with somebody. And my question to you is, do you have anybody in your life who genuinely encourages you in your walk with God and in what God has done in and through you? I know that for you, this might seem a small thing, but when I got up here and I didn't mean it the way it happened, I said something about like me, and you guys all said, oh, yeah, we like you. The truth is, everybody wants somebody who likes them, who actually cares about them. And so my question is, have you partnered with anybody? The scripture in Ecclesiastes says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. When the church at Antioch needed somebody the church from Jerusalem sent Paul and Barnabas together. When they went into uh, another part of the world, that was Cyrus and Paul who went together. All throughout the Scripture, God's intended that we live in community. In other words, are you living with people around you who encourage you in your walk? To say, you can do it. And maybe it might even be there would be people around you who would say, hey, I know you have it in you to share what God has done in you. How about if you're going to go to the Y and work out, how about I go with you and I'll, I'll be an encouragement for you as you share your story with people walking the track or on the treadmill or whatever it might be. Uh, when we started working out some years ago, I was shocked, I really was shocked at how many people my wife connected with. Some of you are sitting in this room. She would just come and she, she would start talking to them. And I'm thinking, I, I don't talk to anybody at the Y. I'm out to do a workout. Leave me alone. But I realized she was living life like Jesus did, where you looked for an opportunity, you looked for a person of peace to connect with 
and she looked for those opportunities, and she would just talk to them. She would talk to them about their life, about their problems, about their struggles, about their families, and then she would share the life of God that was in her. And there would be other people who would say, you know, I'm just not good. She said, well, let's just walk together. And then she would do it in front of them, being able to show them an example of what it's like. Do you have somebody that you connect with who constantly encourages you when you walk? Because we all need partners. The second thing is in verse 2. Then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The second point is time. First one was teamwork. The second one is time. Because harvest is a specific time period. It's a specific season of life. One of several. I mean, I don't know how many of you guys ever did any farming. Uh, I, I know there are big farms around here. But when I was a kid, we did a little farming. And uh, it was like maybe 50 acres. And we would uh, till the ground, we would prepare the ground, we would plant the seeds. So there was a, a, a preparation season, there was a planting season. Then there was a, a, a kind of season where you had to care for what you had planted, you had to water it, you had to weed it, you had to debug it. Uh, all those kinds of things went on. We took care of it until finally you reached harvest season. But my point is this, everybody has a season in their life. And not everybody is in the same season. So that when you come to John chapter 4, Jesus tells us the harvest was ripe in Samaria. But in Luke 10 here, the harvest was ripe in Judea, is what he says. Different times, different places, different people means different harvest and different results. In other words, he says, lift up your eyes and look at the harvest. In other words, look at the people around you. Are they at a place in life where they're ready to be harvested, or is it another season for them where it's your job to plant seeds and to be able to help them along in their walk? Ask yourself this question. Where is God working right now? Who is God working at that you are connecting with right now? Who is open? Like I had a guy recently who was talking to me about situations with his father. And uh, he's, he's not a believer, but he was talking about hard situations. His father was dying. And he had no good relationship with his father. So we sat down and we just talked together. And I realized suddenly in the midst of it, this guy is open in ways that I'm shocked because it just doesn't come across that way. But all of a sudden as I'm talking to him, I realize his heart is open. Open to hear from me about my father and my situation. And by the way, isn't it interesting that God gives you situations in your life that can be used in other ways? I mean, here's a man who had real problems with an abusive father and you guys know my story. So I'm able to talk to him about my situation and what God did in me to be able to forgive and love my dad even up to his dying day. And how that made such a difference in his life. So who is God working at right now around you? So there's teamwork, there's time, and number three, there's target. Too often we shoot shotgun style. We're going to go out and we're going to blare it out there for everybody hoping that everybody hears it. But we need to find someone specific who is receptive to you. Maybe they don't even understand what you carry inside of you. Maybe they don't understand the gospel, but they know you. And they may be even like you. And maybe their heart is open. They're receptive to it. <coughs> Jesus says in verse 7, Remain in the same house, eating and drinking, such as they give. <coughs> Jesus says that once you find this person, 
you need to be willing to spend some time kind of tending the soil that is there, making it ready, continue to sow into that relational connection. Uh, I, I think about um, the group that came here probably two or three years ago. Some of you guys remember him. Alex Seidler came, and he talked about Campus Target. Do any of you guys remember that? They were a group that literally just took a team of people over to China for about a year. And all they expected them to do was to rent an apartment, take care of themselves as a team, but then they would go on to college campuses and they would go to classes, they would play ball, they'd go to coffee shops, and all they did was meet up with people. And when they found people that seemed to like them, to want to talk to them, they felt like that was God beginning to open the door for gospel to come out. And I'm amazed. When we were over there, we watched them leading hundreds of people to the Lord. But it started with targeting specific people. Who is open to hear this message that God has given me? They committed their hearts and their lives to it. It, it. And you don't treat people like they're just another notch on your belt. You're looking for people who actually like you and that you have a heart for yourself. So look for a target. Number four, a task. Now this can seem like the hard part, but it's fine to be friends with people, but there's got to come a point, thank you, there's got to come a point in all of our lives where we're willing to share what God has done with us. It's not enough just to be friendly, to be a great neighbor. You have to be willing to share what Jesus has done for you. If all you ever do is be a nice person, Smile, you're happy, your neighbors love you because if you ever need tools, they have, I mean, all that kind of stuff. All that's good. But it's got to have a point where you share the love of Christ with people. You've got to have a task. He says this, the kingdom of heaven's at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. In other words, find their area of need and speak life and hope into it. One of the things I have discovered, uh, and it doesn't matter who I'm dealing with, one of the things I have discovered, right down at the table at Bud's, or in McDonald's, or at the store over here, I have found that there's almost no one, in fact, I can't think of anyone right now, who has ever refused me praying for them. They're talking about situations, I finally said, would you mind if I just pray for you real quick? I've never once, that I can remember, had anybody say to me, no, no, don't do it. Everybody's open. Even an unbeliever's open because they recognize that prayers actually means that somebody cares. So that you have an open door to actually begin to share the love of God with the people around you. Even an unbeliever is open to care being given to them, even through prayer. And the fifth point, my final point, which is kind of held to the end on purpose because it's the hardest. It's verse 3. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. My fifth point is trouble. Trouble. The issue is not if, but when. When will you re encounter resistance? Jesus had people who walked away from him. Think about the rich young ruler. The scripture says Jesus loved him. It only says he loved two people in the old Bible. Two people specifically. And he loved the rich young ruler, and the rich young ruler left him. Jesus said, the servants, that's us, are not greater than the master. 
If it happened to him, it will happen to you. If they reject Jesus, and by the way, when I say reject Jesus, think about the religious leaders. That was a rejection through and through. They killed him. If they rejected Jesus, what makes you think there won't be people who reject you? But if you're prepared for it ahead of time, it doesn't hit you as such a personal affront. It's like, no, they might be rejecting me, but they're also rejecting the message that I bring and the life of God that's in me. So expect that there will be trouble. The reason I added this at the end is that if you anticipate it, it doesn't have such a sting to it. You will still be willing to share. We're called and empowered by God to do the same thing that Jesus did. Not everyone accepted Jesus, but some did. And we're looking for people who are ripe for the harvest. Who is God preparing you for right now? Using your gifts, your talents, your hobbies, your likes? Who is God preparing around you to hear what you have to say? Maybe for you it has to do with, uh, you know, for, like for me, drinking coffee. I like drinking coffee. I like getting up in the morning and going down and just talking to these guys. Why not? And God uses that to speak into people's lives. One of them just recently said to me, by the way, what's time, what time's your service? So I need to begin to sow into that a little bit more and say, why did you ask that? What are you, what's going on? What's happening for you? But it constantly starts with us being open and believing that God can use us. Now, I want to put up on the uh, screen for you this little uh, kind of scale. Uh, it's got by a guy by the name of Dr. James Engel. Uh, it's much, much more detailed than this, but I'm giving it as simple as I can. In fact, uh, these guys just made this up this morning because if you did the actual scale, it has so many points. It's just I wanted to break it down. Most often, if you were to look at number four on the far right, we think of that as they're saved, they're filled with the Spirit, and everything's wonderful. And we look at the negative four on the other end of the scale as they're an all-out heathen, unbeliever, atheist. They hate God. They hate people. It's bad. And we think our job is to get the negative four to the four. But I want to suggest to you that most often it doesn't happen like that. Can it happen like that? Yes. I've seen it happen like that. But most often it doesn't happen like that. Most often you take them from negative four maybe to negative three. You help move them along on the scale. And so if you are looking at it, if they don't get saved, I failed, then you're going to constantly feel like a failure. But if you look at it, that I planted a seed that moved them along just a little bit. I have somebody in my life that right now, the way that I'm looking at it is I'm constantly showing, hoping that they will stay open to me. Right now, very much resistant. Right now, they would mock everything I stand for, everything I believe, and they would mock you for being here today. But I'm going to continue to sow, believing that every seed moves them just a little bit further along on the scale of life until they would come to what I call zero, which is ground zero for getting saved, and then beginning to grow into it more and more. So my hope and my prayer in sharing this with you today at Pastor John's request is very simply to encourage you you, that you can do it. It's not about getting people to come, although I think there's nothing wrong with bringing people to church. Absolutely invite them to church. You should bring them to church. But it starts with taking the love of God that he's given to you and giving it out there. And then, having connected with them out there, say, why don't you come with us? There's another whole group of people who are just like us. And you can do it. Would you stand with me? Be practical. Be natural. Don't be forced or artificial about it. Use your normal hobbies, your job, uh, your interests. 
uh, I, I, one of the things I enjoy, I haven't done much of it in several years, is I enjoy playing golf. So what did I do? I joined a golf league this year. And I did it on purpose to be able to have access to people. I'm playing with a guy I hardly know. Uh, I know his son better. His son became a Christian here, got saved here at church. And so my thought is, why not? Let me play some golf, hit some balls, do it badly, but be able to have access to people's lives. Make some relationships, some friendships that will last for years, but also hopefully bring them to the Lord. And that's really what he's asking us to do. Would you bow your heads with me? I want you to just ask the Lord, is there somebody in your life already? Just think right now. Ask the Lord to quicken it to your mind. Is there somebody already in your life that God has already placed as a person for you to connect with? And then what stage are you at? Are you at the stage where you're still building that bridge of relationship? Or is it time for you to begin to share the love of God with them? What God has done in you and what he can do in them. Who has God already put around you? It's very possible it's at your workplace or at school. Or maybe it's somebody you see every single time you go to the store and you've just struck up conversations and you've got to know their name. Maybe it's the waitress at the restaurant that you go to. Who has God placed in your steps that you can make a connection with? And then begin to pray and say, God, help me to plant good seeds of the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. Father, I pray that you would help us to not live our lives feeling guilty or ashamed or less than anyone. That you would help us to see that how you live life was far simpler than that. Yes, you absolutely were amazing in everything you ever said and did. Lord, we would love to see more of that. But you also taught us that you're in us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Lord, if we have any hope of making a difference in the lives of those around us, it's because of you. So Lord, I pray that you would also give us a sense of discernment. Lord, I, I know often we say, give us courage, and I know that is a part of it, but Lord, First of all, give us discernment, eyes open to see you at work and those people around us so that we can share what you have done with us, share our story, our testimony, making an impact on them. And then, yes, seeing the church grow, not because we want to be able to boast about the church, but because we want to make a bigger and bigger impact in this area for the sake of the kingdom of God. Lord, let every person, from the youngest to the oldest, know that they have something to give. That they are yours and that you can use them. You can work through them. Give each one of us that sense of discernment, I pray. In the name of Christ, amen. Amen. God bless you. See you next Sunday as we go back to Ephesians. Come on.